0: Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of His earthly ministry. We've studied His teaching as He has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with His disciples. And we've seen His miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Family, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing? Y'all cold yet? Yeah, all right, all right. Give me a favor. Go ahead and uh, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. If you've ever heard me preach, normally I start off with some type of story or illustration to help connect our point. But sometimes there's just certain portions of Scripture that are too weighty for a human story. Sometimes there are some sections of Scripture that are too much For any human story to equate to. As I was um, studying the passages of today, I found myself arrested by the reality of the great lengths in which Christ has gone to reveal himself to me. I was arrested by this reality that Jesus went through great lengths just to show mankind his love for them. You know, God becoming man should have been far enough. But this morning, God will take it a step further. Jesus forcing his glory in human skin should have been enough. But this morning, he takes it a step This morning, God invites us into the essence of who he is, the nature of his being. But what has broken my heart is that oftentimes, I'm just cool with the suburbs of Jesus. In fact, some of us in here this morning are cool with the outskirts of his knowledge. But today, he wants to invite you and I into the heart of who he is. Do you want to see him? What blows my mind about today is, though what we shall see is otherworldly, supernatural, it only lasts for but a brief moment but sometimes there are just certain moments in your life that are etched so deeply in your brain they last you for a lifetime. Ever had that moment in your life that was just brief, but what you saw, what you experienced, it gripped your heart so much that you remember it year after year, month after month, day after day. There are just some things that can only happen for a moment but last you for a lifetime. And that's what should happen to us today. A brief moment of seeing Christ for who he is shall lead us into an act of worship. A brief moment of seeing Christ for who he is shall give us hope in the hard days to come. Let me tell you something, hard days are coming. But also a brief moment of seeing Christ for who he is to help us want to continue to live, walk, think, and talk just like him. You know, but what happened today Will change the disciples' lives and should change ours. In fact, the great Danish theologian, Søren Kirkengaard, will say it this way. He says, Life must be lived forwards, but only understood backwards. Today, these disciples have to keep on living, but this moment in time they shall revert back to to help them understand the days ahead. That makes sense to you? So, uh, Before we get there, let me go ahead and set the scene for you. At the telling of Mark chapter 8, at the cusp of Mark chapter 8, Christ uh, asked Peter a very important question. Peter, who do folks say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And after this confession, everything changes for him, for them, and for us. Because after this confession, Christ begins to say some hard things like, I'm going to have to die. And guess what? If you follow me, you also will face some suffering. In Mark chapter 834, Pastor Scott preached, that he said, If if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Last week, Pastor Tom preached uh, Mark 8:35 that says, uh, Whoever will, will, sa- will save his life for my sake in the gospel, whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Meaning, Pastor Tom preached that, that that living out for Jesus, giving our life to him, it will cost you something. But in the end, it is all worth it. Living for Jesus will cost you something. But in the end, when you see him face to face, it is all worth it. But can you imagine being these disciples? You waited all your life for the Messiah. He's finally come. He's changed your entire life. Scriptures that you didn't understand at first have now been painted crystal clear. Then he tells you, I'm going to have to die. And not only that, if you keep following me, you keep putting one foot in front of the other down my path, you will face hardship. And Christ sees the weight of his conversation heavy on the disciples' hearts. And so in his kindness, he gives them a, a glimpse of hope, a moment of joy. and Mark chapter 9 verse 20, he says, some of you are standing here right now who won't face death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. And in this moment, he gives them a glimpse of the future. He gives them a preview of what is to come, heaven. So now we understand that. All right, y'all got me? Y'all might be quiet. Y'all here? All right, all right. Now pick me up. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. As we I'm going to pull out some things from the text, and then I want to give us some four uh, moments that should change our life, okay? So we're going to read through Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 13. And let me pull out some things for us to give us some guardrails, and then we'll continue in our time. All right, here we go. Mark 9, verse 2 says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, what happened six days prior was Peter's confession. You are the Christ. Now, Peter was right in name. He named Christ correctly, but he didn't fully understand all of what that meant. But also, Ricky, why did Christ just choose these three? Well, it was not for favoritism. I think Christ just wanted to have an intimate moment with these three, okay? And it says, and and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, this is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is about 9,000 feet above sea level. It's equivalent close to Mount Charleston. So they were climbing Mount Charleston. Picture that in your head. They're climbing Mount Charleston, um, but mountains are a part of Christ's ministry. Don't you know that? He preached on mountains. He healed on mountains. He also was crucified on a mountain. Also in the Old Testament, mountains were often used as a divine place for God to reveal himself. So I wonder what's about to happen next. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. What happens here is hard for our human minds to understand. This is a holy moment. This word transfiguration is the word transfigured. Um, in the Greek, it means to change form. In fact, it's where we get our word metamorphosis from. It means a radical change. In a brief moment, in the in twinkling of an eye, God, Jesus Christ, changed from being a human to his divine glory is what they call in literature, a prolipsis. A prolipsis is when a narrative is stopped so that a future point can be shown earlier than it actually occurs. On this mountain, Christ stops time, takes off his skin to let them see who He was, before he put on flesh, and gives them a glimpse of of what is to come. This is a holy moment. Christ tears down the veil from this world and the next world and allows them to see who he was before he put on flesh. In a moment with human eyes, they see the pre-incarnated Jesus and at the same time the resurrected Jesus. This is a holy moment. God and man had an encounter on a mountaintop. And then it says that, in fact, I want to go ahead and make sure I get this clear for us before I move, before I move forward. Speaking about change, the transfiguration, hear me, does not signify a change in Jesus' nature, but rather an outward visible transformation of Jesus' appearance to accord with his nature. Hear me, Christ was not one thing before and something else after. He was the same all the way through. Uh, Reverend Terry Anderson would say it this way, the transfiguration is not a miracle Jesus did. It was the essence of who he is. He is God with flesh painted on him. The transfiguration was simply allowing what was inside of Jesus to come out, allowing what had been hidden to be revealed. Allowing what he, he kept concealed to be unleashed. And then let's keep going. It says that his clothes reflected what was going on. His clothes, his clothes became super white, white, white. No Clorox, no bleach, no oxyclean. It's white, white, white. Y'all get that? Got it, white, white. You got that. And it says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with him. It's a big moment now. Oh, Eli and Moses show up. Eli and Mo show up, and they show up to tell the disciples, he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Moses was the great lawgiver of the Old Testament. Elijah was the great prophet. And they say, the law and the prophets all bow down because he is the fulfillment of all of our work. He is the one. My favorite part of the text, I love it. It says this, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Mo, one for Eli. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter says, Lord, it is good that your boy is up on the mountaintop. It's a good day. Now, when Peter says three tents, it's it's what the Old Testament equivalents to, tabernacles. It's a place to worship God. He says, I want to stay up here and worship you three. And it says next, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. This cloud represents the Shekinah glory of God. In the Old Testament, when this cloud showed up, it it was to demonstrate the presence of God. God the Father has shown up. He says, this is my boy, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. What the disciples saw was so otherworldly, he was like, you don't understand it, so just keep your mouth shut. Just go ahead and keep it shut. Then it says, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. To to appreciate um, the disciples' questions and Christ's response, you have to understand that the Jews believed that Elijah was to come before the Messiah. They just saw Elijah, so they're going, But the kingdom must be coming. In fact, Malachi 4 was said this way. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Elijah's job was to preach repentance to the people of God. And Christ says in so many words, well, an Elijah-like character has come. His name is John the Baptist. In Mark chapter one, John the Baptist's job was to do what? To preach repentance of calling people back to Jesus. In fact, this narrative is found in three different gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 17, it says, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. But Christ says, the same scriptures that predicted Elijah coming also predicted my death. There's two sides of me, Hope Church the conquering king and the suffering servant. You can't get the conquering king until I die on the cross. In fact, Isaiah 53 would say it this way, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Christ is saying, if you're going to fully understand who I am, you've got to understand, though I am a conquering king, I must die. So now that we kind of have some understanding of our text, are we good? All right, I'm, uh, Hey. All right, all right, all right. I know it's cold, but come on now. All right. Now I want to lead us into these four moments that my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help us. It be etching our hearts that we should never forget it. And the first moment is the moment of revelation and worship. You know, Dale, there's just some parts of Scripture you wish you were there. This is one of those for me. Three men are climbing a mountain with their leader, their teacher. They get to the top, probably gasping for air. I mean, you climb Mount Charleston, you're gasping for air. And in between the inhaling and exhaling, Christ changes. In a holy moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the one who you would recognize has now become unrecognizable. These three men see the full perfection of God's glory in an instant. These three men saw Christ in a way no one in all of history has ever seen him. These three men See the perfected glory of God. Human eyes sees God in his raw form. Can I tell you about God's glory? I know for us it's not a big deal because, you know, we don't really impress by God like that. But God's glory is terrifying and yet perfect. It's holy yet mysterious. It's incomprehensible. That's why we have a hard time figuring out what are we talking about. The fact the word glory means weight. When you see God for who he is, his splendor, his majesty, his power, his sovereignty, it has a tendency to push your shoulders down because there is no one like him. There was another person who saw God's glory, but not the same way. It was a man named Moses. Old Testament, Exodus 34, Moses says, on top of a mountain, God, I want to see your glory. <laughs> Moses, what's wrong with you, man? You do know that purity can't be in the same room as sinfulness. They should appreciate, you should appreciate God's grace for that. That he would allow you to even be in his presence because you and I are broken, jacked up, messed up people. Um, he, says, he says Moses I'll, I'll do you one better Moses I, I, I'll just let my glory just pass by you and it says that just the of God's glory was enough to make Moses' face shy why is that? because you cannot be in the presence of God and nothing change I ask you a question if you are a Christ follower and your life looks looks the exact same as it did before you met Christ, I have a question to ask you. Have you really had an encounter with the Savior? It's impossible to see God for who he is and nothing in your life change. Now, the cool part about it is Moses had what they call reflected glory. It just bounced off of God's face to him. But Christ, it says in Matthew 17, 2, it says that when he was transfigured, it said, and his face shone like the sun. Why is that? Because Hebrew says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. I'll tell you this. Light does not come from the sun, S-U-N, but light comes from the sun, S-O-N. And this is what we see right now in this text. Hear me. Moses had reflected glory. Christ had perfected glory. Moses' glory is shown because he was with God. Christ's face glorifies because he is God. Moses had extrinsic glory. Christ has intrinsic glory. This is a moment of revelation. Now, old Mo and Eli show up to the party as if to say, Jesus, we've done all we can do We've preached the law to them. We've preached your word to them. If you don't show up, hope church is lost. They say you are the fulfillment of everything I ever wrote. You are the completion of every verse in the Bible. He's Adam's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. He's Noah's ark. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samson's power. He's David's music. He's Solomon's wisdom. New Testament, he's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's Luke's great physician. He's John's word made flesh. He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is all fulfillment of everything in your Bible. These men are standing with the saints of old in the presence of God under the weight of his glory. What do you call that? Worship. Worship is a foretaste of what every person in this room should long to see. When you sing songs, It's a preview of what you will be doing for the rest of your days when your life here is over. In fact, C.S. Lewis would say it this way. For glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome to the heart of things. The door on which we've been knocking all of our lives was open at last. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. But the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we will get in. Christ says, on this mountaintop, I am showing you that I am God. I told you that we have these moments that are etching our mind that shall last us forever. Well, look at what John says in John chapter 1, speaking of this moment. He says, I wrote this whole book because I saw this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, I got to keep going. The next moment is the moment of misunderstanding. Peter says, you know what, God? This is a good moment for me to speak. You know your glory is here Mo and Eli here I need your boy needs to say something it's an important time for me to say something what I feel and, Moses, and, and and Peter says it is good that I am here so I'm like Peter you're in the presence of God and the best you got is it just good to be here I mean KFC is pickle-looking good I mean that's the best you got is it just good to be here but let's not uh, let's not <laughs> castigate Peter too quickly Peter is right. It is good to be here, but Peter's good intentions, he, he, he's missing out on some things. The first thing that he doesn't understand is Christ's position. Because he says, I want to make three tents, three, tents, three places of worship. What he's saying is, I want, to, I want to worship you, Jesus, and Moses and Eli. Peter, there's only one God on this mountain. There's not three. Before you castigate Peter, we're just like him we tend to allow things to rise up to the level in which Christ should be by himself. God, I'm not saying saying that you're not important, Christ. I'm just saying you're one of many things important in my life. My money is important. My dreams are important. My family is important. So I'll just make multiple tabernacles. I'll worship you, Christ, and you, my money, and you, my family, and you, my goals. I'll just equate all of you the same. before you castigate Peter what other tabernacles in your life have you created in fact let me just show you that a piece of Christ's resume colossians 1 it says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him when's the last time you had this on your resume Can I tell you something? No one rivals Jesus. But he also misunderstands Christ's mission. He says, I just want to stay up here and worship you. Let's just stay on the mountain and disregard the work of what it means to be a Christ follower. The whole purpose of the transfiguration was to anticipate the resurrection. But you can't have the resurrection Without the cross. I have to die, Peter. You need the cross, Peter. Without the cross, you have no hope, Hope Church. How many of us enjoy coming to this building in this moment of euphoria and say, just keep me here? That is not what it means to be a Jesus follower. You're called to live as he lived and do what he has called you to do. But why would Peter say some things like this? Well, he was terrified. You know what's funny is Peter didn't fully understand who Christ was, and so he said some foolish things. Now, before you castigate Peter, how many of us don't understand all the time what Christ is doing in our lives and don't fully understand who God is? And we tend to say some foolish things. Like, God, where are you? Do you even care? Do you even see me? And the transfiguration is proof that God sees you, that God cares for you. Because if he didn't, he would not have taken on human form. The reason he came to earth was all because he cared for you. What blows my mind is Peter is standing inches away from the glorified Jesus, and he still misses the significance of the moment. You know what's funny about our Bible is we have the revealed glory of God in word right before our faces, and we still miss who Jesus is. We are just like Peter. But the next moment is the moment of affirmation. I love this moment. It says God the Father shows up. And it's a moment of affirmation because he affirms God, he affirms Christ, and affirms the disciples. The whole point of the transfiguration, when Christ transfigures himself, what he's saying is, Hope Church, I'm turning my face towards the cross. I'm headed to die on your behalf. But we forget that though Christ is fully God, he's also fully man. And every son needs an affirmation from their parents. And his father, shows up, his father shows up to say, Son, I see you. I'm proud of you, and I love you. Hear me. I think everyone in this room should hear that from their parents. But I also know that that's not always the case. But if you are a Christ follower, you got a heavenly daddy that every day of your life, he says, I see you, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And he says... Disciples, this is my son, the son of God. Listen to him. Now, this text is found in three different gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. they all in the same way. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. So in all my Bible knowledge, I got one question. Do we listen to God? It means to hear with the ear. We stand on the stage every week and we preach to you by the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear? Are you listening to what we are saying? Because it is from the Word of God. Can I ask you a question? In your prayer life, who does the most talking? Do you listen to God? Pastor Ricky, I'm glad glad you said, because listen, I've been asking God to speak to me for a long time. He seems silent. Please don't tell me God is silent and your Bible is closed. You want to hear God? 66 books, a long conversation. Christ says, he who has ears, let him hear. Do we listen to God and do what it says? Do what what his word says? And now to my last point is the moment of the cross. In verse 8, everything goes back to normal. Christ shoves his glory back into human skin. Mo and Eli have left the building. The cloud of the Shekinah glory of God has vanished. Everything has gone away, but there is one person who remains, Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? When everything else in your life has gone away, when no one else is around, when you can't find no help, there is always one person who should never leave you nor forsake you, and his name is Jesus. When your pastors can't be found and your small group is too busy, Christ says, there is one person who will never, ever leave you. Listen to him. Now, Christ is trying to get his disciples to understand that I have to die on the cross for you. You will never get me in this form again if I don't die. Did you rather say it? You will never get the glorified Christ again if he does not die. So why does Christ remain? He has some unfinished business called the cross. Christ is trying to help us and them understand that before I am exalted, I must be humiliated. He's going, there's two sides of the Messiah. Yes, I am the conquering king who rules all things. But before you get that, I I must be the suffering servant. I have to die. I'm going to go ahead and say it this way and, 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 and hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to be rude, but it is true. If suffering is a part of messiahship, then suffering is a part of discipleship. I'm not talking about you having a bad day. That's not suffering. I mean, because you are living for the gospel. Standing up for who Christ is. And because of that, you face persecution. But here's the cool part about it. That means that when we do face persecution, Christ understands exactly how we feel. I hope, church, I'm trying to preach to you that everything hinges on the cross of Christ Jesus. Everything hinges on his decision to walk down that mountain, up another mountain, to die on our behalf. Uh, they call it a, a landmark decision. That's when I, but That's when a decision is made that changes the trajectory and the standard of things. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed abolishing slavery. That was considered a landmark decision in 1870 the 15th amendment passed which is allow all people to vote that was considered a landmark decision in 1964 the Civil Rights Act passed which prohibited discrimination that was considered a landmark decision simply put when these laws are broken here in the present they reach back to a past decision to correct what was broken hear me as a black man I'm thankful for these landmark decisions there's one decision that I'm the most thankful for. It happened over 2,000 years ago when my Savior decided to simply say, I am going to die for messed up, broken, jacked up people. And my decision back then has now changed their future for forever. Can I just give you some good news? We should be thankful for the cross because of Christ's death on the cross, broken people now have life. Sinful people now have been set free. All because Jesus Christ made a decision that simply said, I love you enough to leave glory, to come down to sinful earth just because you could not get to me. Are you thankful for the moment of the told you, there are just certain moments that when you see them clearly, it is etched in your brain. Somebody died for you. Somebody stopped breathing so that you could breathe. reason of the transfiguration is to anticipate Christ resurrecting from the grave but you cannot get the resurrection unless you get his death God became man went through great lengths to display his love for you and the best we got is a quick hallelujah. So, if you hear nothing else, this is what I've been trying to communicate to you in my Sermon in the sentence. Seeing Jesus in his fullness, our only response is worship, hope, and transformation. For he is God Ricky what do I do with this transfiguration how do I respond to it well a few things first of all as Christians behold the glory of God when's the last time you allowed the glory of God to arrest you in the moment think about him pray to him enjoy him behold who he is Keep your mind fixed on him. And the more you fix your mind on Jesus, the more your life will transform to look like him. You do realize this that that for some people, the only way they will experience Christ with, with flesh on is by shaking your hand. Next, listen to God, obey what you're reading. I know, hear me, this is not easy, but I want you to pray that God will give you a heart to want to obey His word. This last time you prayed, Jesus, help me to see you for who you are, and then help me to have the appetite to want to actually follow you. It goes against your human flesh. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to listen to God and obey. Stop coming to services just to hear good sermons. A sermon can't save you, but the Word of God is life for you. And then for those of you who don't know Christ, what do you do with the transformation? (laughs) You place your faith in Him. What other God do you know would have went through such lengths just to display His love for you? Jesus Christ became visible so that his mercy and grace will be available to you. And then, for those of us who are Christians, I got a small bone to pick with us. Small bone. Christ died for our sins, and we come in here and we have to pull worship out of you. Christ died for you, your lives your jealousy, for free. And we have to pull that out of you to say thank you? When somebody dies for you, the least you can do is say thank you. I'll say it again for this side. When somebody dies for you, the least you can do is tell him thank you. I'm sorry I yelled at y'all. You know, I love you. But as our pastors come, let me pray. Father, I pray this word fell on good soil. I pray we see you in a way we've never seen you before. That we would appreciate all you have done on our behalf. That you would go to great lengths just to show us who you are. So this, Lord, is our prayer this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Listen, our pastors are up here. If you need to just say, Jesus, forgive me, Lord, for, for building up multiple tabernacles in my life. Come repent. Just you're saying, God, help me see you clearly. Come to this altar and kneel and just have a conversation with your Savior. And if you don't know Christ Jesus, the one who shoved his glory into human skin just to make love and hope available to you, we would love to have a conversation with you because he wants you. That's why he came. So as we begin to sing, Respond in however God is calling you. But hear me, if you can stay, please stay. And if you are already saved, pray for somebody who's not saved. Church is not always about you. I love y'all. Let's stand and respond.